0: Welcome to On the Ballot with Ballotpedia, where we take a closer look at the week's top political stories. Ballotpedia connects people to politics by providing neutral, nonpartisan, and reliable information on our government, how it works, and where it's headed. We're here to give you the facts so you can form your own opinion. I'm Victoria Rose, and thanks for being with us. Today we've got our final preview of next week's midterm elections with none other than Ballotpedia's editor-in-chief, Jeff Paley. What is up, Jeff?
1: You know, it's just the election time of year. Nothing really, right? Nothing too exciting. So great to be back with you again, in Victoria, today. And gosh, it's just like pick your cliche. It's our Super Bowl. It's something else like that. So
0: I compared it to like tax season for accountants. We have oh tax night. season. <laughs> oh my god, it's kind of a drudge. That's a
1: that's a fun one. Everyone looks forward to your tax season, right?
0: Well, to start, I figured. Well, actually I have a question for you um, yeah. that I think about often because I'm I'm a little excited to have election season over. Do you have plans to relax after election season?
1: That's a great question. Last year or last cycle I should say, I took my the kids camping right after the election and it was uh let's just say our youngest was was pretty young at the time and it was not very enjoyable. So uh, worse
0: than election season. You know,
1: it was still fun. It, it's it's beautiful campground in South Carolina, so uh I thought about doing that again this cycle, but no, I, I think this year it's going to be just a, a whole lot of hanging the kids at home. So uh, nice. it should be fun. What about you though?
0: I actually lucked out. My my husband has a work conference in Florida, so I will be recording this podcast from the beach in a couple of weeks. Nice. Yes. Nice. So I'm very excited. Well, I'm going to just throw a softball at you. Could you describe for our listeners what midterms actually are? What sort of offices are up for election? Are there any looming historical themes we're watching?
1: Gosh, right. What are the midterms? I I read an article the other day where the writer talked about how these are off-cycle elections. And the basic premise that that writer was taking was that the only true elections are presidential election years and that these weird midterms are are just sort of off-cycle and unimportant. But I hadn't seen it described that way before because typically we always see an off-cycle or an odd year as being like the 2023 elections or elections that happen in April. But anyway, what's a midterm election? So all of the U.S. House is up for election, which we all know and we all follow very closely. And of course, the U.S. Senate will be decided in the next week or so, unless, of course, it goes into January again, like it did with Georgia two years ago. The midterms are actually surprisingly important at the statewide level. That's, that's one of my favorite parts of it, because uh, more than two-thirds of the governors are up for election on midterm cycles. So a lot of those statewide officials actually go counter to the presidential election cycle. So there are 36 governors up this year. There are typically only about 11 in the presidential election year. So there's a lot of consequential stuff that occurs in a midterm cycle.
0: Yeah, the election, I mean, I'm counting on it sort of ending after November 8th ballot measures. There's not runoff elections, thank goodness. But there are lawsuits on on my end, so I will be following those.
1: There are always lawsuits in your world, the aftermath sections. Of course, I'm always interested to see what happens there. So.
0: Yeah, there's uh, even some lingering from 2020 that have not been resolved.
1: What ballot measure are you most interested in that you're covering next week?
0: Uh, definitely one of the most interesting storylines is that the California sports betting. The polls that have been conducted have it, both measures Proposition 26 and 27 being defeated. Both measures are the most expensive ballot measures in at least California history. We're pretty certain in ballot measure history, over $400 million raised on all sides of those campaigns. Yeah, It'll be interesting to see.
1: It feels what? like the kind of thing where nationally our, our listeners are probably wondering, wait, sports betting is not legal in California. It's almost legal everywhere else at this point. Where is it not legal anymore? So should be interesting.
0: Definitely. You want to talk a little bit about how our work changes around election season? So clearly we cover politics year round, but- gearing up for yeah, the so
1: midterms. It, it, this is a really fun time of year for us because, uh, you know, for, for some of you listeners and for all of our readers, we love all of you, but this is the time of year where we like to think we get what we would call our our, our once a cycle readers who are going to come to Ballopedia. And we like to think of it like if you're a restaurant, you have your regulars and they're great. They come in every Thursday, they order the same thing. Every, they know the names of all of the servers and the bartenders and it's, it's great. You love your regulars, just like we love our power users who come to Ballotpedia every week, and they are they're junkies just like we are. But this is the time of year where we get our once a year visitor, someone who just comes to Ballotpedia once a cycle when they're getting ready to vote, and we want to make sure that they feel perfectly equipped and and perfectly comfortable going to the polls and casting their ballot. So for us, this is the culmination of years of work comes through uh, in the next week when all of the millions of of voters who, again, primarily don't pay much attention to politics during the rest of the year, uh, they come to our door and and we hope to leave them feeling happy and uh and satisfied. So, it's a fun time here we get to watch all of that happen.
0: Yeah, for sure. My brother called me last week and he was like he, he lives in Arizona looking at the 10 lists of ballot measures they're voting on. He's like, "Do you cover this?" And I was like, "This is my job. Of course we cover this." <laughs> so I watched into What I thought my you act. just
1: sit at your computer all day, Victoria. Yeah. <laughs> That's not a job. Right? Yeah. Yeah, so for us that you know, all of the work is you're intimately familiar with Victoria is 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 really setting up and prepping for for all of the, the these voters who are going to come looking to to help get themselves educated to vote um and then how the work will then change is uh then we'll move directly into our results collecting so we're, we're preparing all of our our analysis articles and all of our our database processes and all of our staff are sort of lined up and ready to go and everybody knows where they need to be to to go collect results after the the polls close, and and then we can start trying to make sense of well, what actually happened.
0: Yeah. Do you want to give a little sneak peek to our listeners of what election night actually looks like at Ballotpedia? I mean, you could start with the snack magic boxes, or
1: yeah, yeah, right. You know, we've we've never had the fun opportunity of actually all being in one physical location. Maybe one year we'll do that, get fifty or so computers together. But what we do in advance is everybody has a a really clearly defined shift. And that has been a really helpful and fun thing that we do for for our election results work because it can be very easy to just think, well, I'm just going to stay up all night until I pass out. And then I'll have my dog with my face a few hours later and wake me up and, and I'll try to stumble back to my desk again. For us, what works really well for Ballopedia's team is to have everybody with a really clearly defined time when they're supposed to come. And in advance, we everybody gets sent a, a snack magic box. Uh, that's not a plug for snack magic. They didn't pay us to say that, although if they want to, they can. <laughs> But it's a really cool concept where we everyone gets to customize the, their snacks for election night. So you know the same way you'd do it in in office if you were sharing stories. Like, well, what are you bringing to give yourself a little caffeine injection at three in the morning? We're all swapping snack trading stories. That is, if my son hasn't eaten all of them before election night, which which probably yes. will happen.
0: Yeah, I had to fend off my husband as well. He thinks that. Yeah,
1: those pesky eight-year-olds and those pesky husbands, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So then we're all just, you know, working together to to pull together the results and, and pull together our analysis articles to, to give readers, to give journalists, to give anyone who's interested the big picture of well, what actually happened?
0: Obviously everyone's very interested in politics right now and The public in general becomes a little bit skeptical about political coverage at this time of year. So how do we make sure that our information and coverage is as trustworthy as possible when we start reporting out election results? Do we take any additional steps like our race calling strategy?
1: Yeah, we do have a pretty clearly defined race calling policy where, you know, we, depending on the race, we typically require at least three sources to have called the race before we'll actually call it on our end. And that was a change we made a couple of years ago. And we found that to be really helpful for us. It allows us to avoid getting into situations where a race gets called, and then we make updates, and then all of a sudden the the call changes, and we're having to switch things out in the database, and readers are getting confused because they're, well, wait a minute, I saw this race on Ballopedia called one way, and now it changed. We, We really find it beneficial to allow ourselves to be patient, wait for a little more certainty. We're not trying to be the first to cross the finish line with the uh, the results of every single U.S. house race or something to that effect.
0: We kind of touched on this at the beginning, some storylines we're watching, but I wanted to give you another opportunity to plug your love of state legislatures. So are there any particular chambers you're most interested in seeing the outcome? I
1: do love state legislatures. Uh, I started at BALP in 2010, and that was my first assignment was writing and understanding the state legislative landscape and you know, you never forget your first love. So it's kind of like that for me. And state legislatures are are always really exciting and very interesting. There's 7,383 of them and nearly all of them are, are up for election this year. Yeah, we will be very curious to see which chambers flip, which chambers don't. Last cycle, only two chambers flipped. It was kind of dull in that respect. We get excited for change and interesting things happening. So which seats are closest, which chambers flip, uh, all of that will be really interesting to see. And there there are a number of pretty interesting ones, whether it's Arizona or, or Minnesota. Two states that I think are most interesting. And it's because Minnesota is one of the only states that has a divided state legislature where one chamber is one party and one chamber is the other in almost every other state it's single party control. So we'll see if that happens again this time around, or if uh, I kind of feel like it's very possible we're going to move to a point where if you're Massachusetts, you're a democratic legislature, if you're Oklahoma, you're Republican, and that'll be the case almost everywhere. So we'll see.
0: Do you want to give a plug real quick for the tools and resources Ballotpedia is offering to voters as they prepare to vote?
1: Yeah. So there are a number of different things that uh, voters use and should use. So the first and most obvious one, believe it or not, is actually uh, poll closing times. Wh- when do polls open? When do polls close? There are a surprisingly large number of voters who are looking for information about that on election day, and we are here to help. So if you just jump to your search engine of choice and, and plug in poll closing times, you'll you'll find an article on Ballopedia, and that'll help you make sure that you know exactly when when you can get to the polls or when you need to be there by. So poll closing times is is one of... Uh, more than 50 different articles that we have under what we call our help desk and the help desk is just a collection of articles that are answering your sort of standard faq style questions like well when does early voting end in my state and when do they count the results in my state and then all the things of that nature the second major resource is our sample ballot lookup tool plug your address in and we'll tell you all the elections information we have for your address. And that's a great way to find out, well, who are the candidates running? What are they saying about issues? Who's endorsing them? You know, what kind of campaign finance figures are, are rolling in for that race? What are the ballot measures you might be voting on? Like your brother, you know, with 10 of them in Arizona. So our sample ballot tool is, you know, one of our flagship products. You can find it anywhere on Ballotpedia.org, or you can just go Google sample ballot Arizona, and, and you'll find a link to it. Then the final thing is something that's contained within the sample ballot tool, and that's our candidate survey. Uh, we've talked about that on this podcast before, so listeners should be very regularly familiar with it. But our candidate survey really positions itself to help voters truly understand who the candidate is. What do they stand for? What do they care about? What motivated them to get into politics? And we we like to humanize uh, the candidates because they're they're people just like all of us, and. They have songs that get stuck in their head, and they have favorite fictional characters. So, the candidate surveys are a really great way to to see what candidates are are, are truly thinking about. And we have more than six thousand different candidate surveys for this election cycle. So, there there's plenty of interesting fodder there for for readers to flip through and and learn about their their candidates and what they believe in. So, yeah, that's a lot, right?
0: Yeah. I'm glad we're so helpful. But post-November 8th, how can our listeners find our post-election analysis and how can they stay engaged heading into 2023?
1: Yeah. So right after the election, you know, we'll, be, we'll be updating Ballotpedia uh, pretty much hourly with uh, election results information. If you're into webinars and that kind of thing, you can sign up for a webinar we're having on Thursday, November 10th. If you're into podcasts, which I guess you probably are if you're listening to this, Uh, You can listen to Victoria and I on Wednesday talking about the results and and what we're seeing so far and probably trading stories of how many coffees we've had. Or you can just sign up with our newsletters. So the Daily Brew is sort of our standard flagship product that will have daily updates bringing all of our overview coverage and, and what we're seeing.
0: Great. Well, I wish you all the best in these final days of election preparation. As always, thank you for coming on the show. We're always happy to have you.
1: Yeah, the real question is what you're doing on election day itself before the polls close. That's what we always talk about internally. Are you seeing a movie? Or are you taking a nap? What are you up to?
0: I'm gonna I'm gonna do what I did in 2020 to kind of calm my nerves. I took the Hamilton ride on my Peloton. It was very patriotic, so that's what I plan on nice. like doing again.
1: <laughs> I'm take the dog to the groomer and go to the gym. Very exciting yes. stuff, right? Yep. Yeah. Well, always good a chat, Victoria.
0: Yeah, thanks Wolf. for coming
1: on. See you next week.
2: Good evening, or afternoon, or morning, whatever it is for you, because it's always a good time for trivia. I'm Paul Rayner, and I've returned with some more footnote facts. Today, we're talking about vacancies in elected offices. And today's vacancy-related trivia question is this. Which state has its state legislative chambers fill their own vacancies? Stick around to find out. So with Election Day around the corner, you heard about it? You may have noticed some elected offices that currently have vacancies, and there are three such vacancies in the U.S. House, 69 in state legislatures, and countless others in local offices and elsewhere. And some of these will be filled on November 8th, but for many others, it's a bit more complicated because stipulations for filling vacancies vary wildly across states based on what the vacant office is, when it is vacated, and who can fill the vacancy. So to illustrate differences based on the timing of a vacancy, let's take the U.S. House, for example. If the vacancy happens during the first session of Congress, every state and territory mandate a special election. Simple enough. But when it's during the second session of Congress, that's when the vacancy filling requirements get convoluted because then the proximity to the next general election throws a wrench into things and how to address it differs from state to state. But it's perhaps more straightforward with the U.S. Senate, though. In 37 states, the governor appoints a replacement that serves until the next regularly scheduled statewide election, which might then become a special election for that seat. But the other 13 states require a special election to be called within a certain time frame, though eight of those also allow for an interim gubernatorial appointment. And with governors, it's pretty simple, too. At least for who was first in line to ascend to governor, 45 states have the lieutenant governor fill the seat. And in Tennessee and West Virginia, that person is also the president of the Senate. But in Maine and New Hampshire, there is no lieutenant governor. So the president of the Senate fills the seat. Arizona, Oregon and Wyoming are more unusual in that the secretary of state is first in line to the governorship. It's when you get to the second person in line to fill a gubernatorial vacancy that it gets kind of weird. There might not even be a constitutional provision for such a situation in some states. But if it is specified, it could be the Attorney General, the Senate President, Speaker of the House, even the State Treasurer. Could be a different person from those. And state legislatures are sort of all over the place for their vacancies. Most commonly, 25 states have a special election for the seat, 10 states have a gubernatorial appointment, and 7 states have their Board of County Commissioners appoint the replacement. The other 8 states either have a political party appoint them, use a hybrid system combining aforementioned methods, or in the case of today's trivia question, As the legislative chamber with the vacancy fill it? I didn't give away the answer yet. And finally, before we run out of time, state Supreme Court vacancies are filled by the governor in the vast majority of states. Such appointments may be made with or without the assistance of a judicial nominating commission, depending on the state. But in South Carolina and Virginia, the state legislature elects the replacement. In Louisiana, a special election for voters is held. And in Illinois, the state Supreme Court fills its own vacancy. That fact was actually the answer to the trivia question in episode four of this podcast. But that's the past, and we don't dwell on that. So what is the answer to today's trivia question? Again, that being, which state has its state legislative chambers filled their own vacancies? So close to giving away the answer earlier, that answer is Ohio. And there's some big elections going on there on November 8th, including for U.S. Senate and governor. Fun stuff. That does it for trivia today. The floor now goes back to our host, Victoria.
0: Thanks, Paul. As Jeff mentioned earlier, there's plenty of ways you can prepare to vote. If you have got a last-minute binge of ballot measures planned, let us help you with our ballot bulletin newsletter. It tracks developments in election policy at the federal, state, and local levels. In each email, you'll find summaries of prominent events relating to electoral systems, redistricting, and voter provisions. You'll also be able to track relevant legislation with links to and summaries of the bills themselves. And you'll even receive updates on the status of court cases dealing with election policy matters. To subscribe, go to Ballotpedia.org and find the email updates tab or use the link in our show notes to sign up for the Ballot Bulletin newsletter or to check out our other newsletters. And that's all for this week's episode of On the Ballot. Thanks again to Jeff and Paul for coming on the show with me today. Make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll be back next week to debrief the midterm results. Until then, if you have any questions, comments, or love for Ballotpedia, feel free to send it to us at ontheballot at Ballotpedia.org or on Twitter at Ballotpedia. I'm Victoria Rose, and thanks for listening.